Around the world, more than 80 women have accused Peter Nygaard of crimes ranging from rape to sex trafficking. He far exceeds Jeffrey Epstein. He far exceeds Bill Cosby. He exceeds anything that I think our world has seen so far. A pattern of predatory behavior spanning half a century. Nygaard denies it all. But now he faces criminal charges. If this were a poor man, he would have been in jail decades ago. He is hid in plain sight. Evil by Design, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. It's not even a mini-budget. It is a micro-budget. It does not meet the urgency of what Canadians are going through. It doesn't really meet their needs. This update can be summed up very simply. Prices up, rent up, debt up, taxes up, time's up. Common sense conservatives will vote non-confidence. The federal government's fall economic statement is getting some poor reviews from Conservative leader Pierre Polyev and Jagmeet Singh of the NDP. The Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister Christy Freeland unveiled that statement yesterday at a time when Canadians are struggling with an affordability crisis. Christy Freeland joins me now. Deputy Prime Minister, good morning. You said in your speech yesterday that your economic plan is working Rents are up something like 8% in the past year. Mortgage costs are up about 30%. People are feeling this on a daily basis. Is that is that what working looks like right now? Good morning, Matt. And um, I certainly did not expect positive reviews from the Conservative leader. Um, I absolutely uh, recognize that these are challenging times for Canadians, and they're challenging times for people around the world. What is important for Canadians to know is our government is there to support them. It's important for them to recognize the progress we're making collectively in getting through these challenging times. Yesterday, uh, before I unveiled the fall economic statement, we had the inflation number for October down to 3.1% from a peak of 8.1%. Things are still challenging, but that is progress. We also now have one million more jobs than we had before COVID hit. Again, things are challenging for Canadians for sure. Grocery prices are a challenge. Mm -hmm. Rent is a challenge. Renewing your mortgage is a challenge. But having a job is really meaningful. And wages, in addition to there being a lot of jobs in the country right now, wages have increased more than inflation for the past nine months in a row. Do you, th- do you think, so do you think are, that that matters? Those are real things in people's lives. Do, 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 those, real things, do those real yeah. things touch people, though, who are you know, working people who are living in their cars or people who are moving in with their aging parents or squeezing their families, as we saw in Weston in Toronto, into tiny apartments because they couldn't possibly afford to get anything else? Oh, I think that having a job and having wages increase over the past nine months, I think that touches every single Canadian. Now, having said that, am I, and I think inflation being down to 3.1%, that touches every single Canadian. Now, does that mean that I am sanguine about the situation? 
Absolutely not. And I'm really glad to hear you talking about housing because I think that is the single most urgent need. And that is why we announced a number of new measures to get more homes built faster in Canada, to get more affordable homes built faster. And one thing that I would really like to highlight is because I think this is an area where a lot of Canadians have real concerns is support for people who are concerned about renewing their mortgages in this time of high interest rates. So we announced yesterday for, I think, the first time in Canadian history, the Canadian Mortgage Charter. And for people who are listening, and if you're worried about renewing your mortgage, please Google this, because this outlines some really specific tailored forms of relief that you can expect from your bank when you go to renew your mortgage. What about the two-thirds of Canadians who don't actually own a home right now? There was a poll that was done in October saying that two-thirds of Canadians who who don't own a home say that they've given up on that. Two-thirds of Canadians who don't own a home? Who don't own a a home. No, no, but let let me... It's not two-thirds of Canadians... but that that it's one third of Canadians who don't own a home. The, the, I'm worried about those people too, but two thirds of Canadians own a home. The polling said, just to be clear, the two thirds of Canadians who do not own a home right now say that they have given up on that dream of ever owning a oh, home. Oh, two thirds of those who currently don't. Is there anything that would suggest that 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 outlook is any different for them now? Is there any reason for them to believe that they will ever be able to own a home in this country? Absolutely. And one of the things I want to say to the Canadians who don't own a home, who and not everyone wants to buy a home, but for the Canadians who do, uh, the first home savings account, which was launched in April, is proving to be really, really popular. We have more than 250,000 Canadians. By definition, these are people who don't own a home because you can only use it to buy your first home. So that's 250,000 Canadians who want to own a home, and they are voting with their money because they're putting it in that savings account. And I would urge everyone who is interested in saving up for a home, it's a great way to do it, and it will really, really help you. If they can afford any money to save, put right, aside in the first place because of it. Because, Canadians who, who can right. because they've actually put their money in those accounts. Let me just and ask I'm one really fi- glad we're able to support them. Let me just ask one final thing on housing. There's a couple of other things I want to talk to, but one of the things is that the funding in this um, in this this statement for affordable housing and for loans for rental construction doesn't begin until 2025. 2025. Is your government still going to be in power in 2025? The funding that we announced yesterday is topping up programs that exist right now and that are working and are operating right now. But and with I'll the, give the, you the an direct example. funding for loans and for rental construction. Right, that, because that, because those programs, Matt, are already up and running. And so what we did is, and I'll give you a really concrete example close to where you're sitting right now. I was in Toronto on Tuesday together with Mayor Chow, and we announced a rental apartment construction financing plan for Toronto. It was $1.2 billion in financing to build 2,600 new homes. It's just north of Young and Eglinton. Those homes are being built right now. I saw them behind me from this fund, 
But the builders there said to me on Tuesday, they said, this is a great program. It is hard to borrow money in the commercial market. Thanks to this program, we can afford to build rental. We're building rental instead of condos. But you know what they said, Matt? They said, the money is running out. They said, we hope this program will continue. I couldn't say to them on Tuesday, good news, ladies and gentlemen, there's another $15 billion coming into that fund. But... I knew it in my heart, and I was really glad because I saw the apartments being built. And the mayor of Toronto me. says that it's nowhere near enough, and it's not coming anywhere near fast enough. That's that's the issue, and that's the issue with 2025. That's the issue with, again, those Canadians. If you're 30 years old and you think you're never going to be able to afford a home, they don't see this in their lifetime. Matt, there is no one silver bullet on housing. I totally agree with that. And I also think this is something that we need to do today and tomorrow and the day after. And we are totally committed to doing that, and that is what we are doing. We've talked about the $15 billion in additional finance for rental construction. There's a billion dollars there for, deep, for affordable housing specifically. Co-ops, something I am very excited about because I lived in a co-op. Um, there is more money there. Something else that I think is really important that will create opportunities for people to have permanent homes to rent right now is cracking down on Airbnb and short-term rental. Right. And that's just what we announced yesterday. That comes on top of our announcement in September, which is totally lifting the GST on purpose-built rental. Let me, that is getting shovels in the ground hmm. right now. And then we have the Housing Accelerator Fund. That's $4 billion we have Ten deals across the country, right. and that is cutting red tape. That is allowing higher density across the country, which is going to permit supply, supply, supply. And then, just a few weeks ago, we added twenty billion dollars to the Canada Mortgage Bond Program. That provides more money for builders to build. Let me, so let, again, let, I am not going to claim there's one single thing that's going to fix this. Right. But what I am going to say to you and everyone who is listening is, we get it. And we are there supporting people who want to buy a home, people who are renewing a mortgage, people who want to rent, and we're just going to keep going. Being short on time, let me just ask you a couple of other things that don't have anything to do with housing, but perhaps would suggest why people can't afford to put money aside for housing. We have seen um, your government uh, admitted, essentially, in Atlantic Canada that the price on carbon is an economic hardship, created a carve-out for home heating oil. Pierre Polyev has suggested a freeze on the carbon tax to alleviate the pressure that people are feeling right now. Why w would you suggest a, 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 a not moving ahead with a freeze? Why is the freeze not in this fall economic statement? Matt, I know that you know because you and I have talked about this. Um, the price on pollution is revenue neutral. Eight out of ten Canadians get back more money than the price on pollution. And yet your MPs in Atlantic in Canada demanded a carve-out so that they would not feel the pressure from their constituents because they knew that they were going to be paying more for heating. That, that, that Matt, actually is totally untrue. Home heating oil is a very, very specific case. Home heating oil is the most polluting form of fuel. Home heating oil is predominantly used by people who are lower income and who live in rural areas what, and who what, just can't afford to switch to a heat pump. What is, what, what so is untrue about saying... makes absolute sense. What's untrue what about saying that your MPs asked for a carve-out on that, though? 
what we've said is we're going to put a pause on home heating oil, step up the support for people to shift to a heat pump so that we can get all Canadians across the country off home heating oil. That's going to mean that we pollute less. And once you get a heat pump, you spend less every month on your heating. I think that's a win-win across the country, and it was the right thing to do. So why not a freeze on the increase in the carbon tax uh, nationally? Because the price on pollution is, one, the most economically efficient way to fight climate change. And I don't know about you. Actually, Matt, that's a lie. I do know about you. I know that you know that climate change is real. I know that everyone who listens to your show, because basically everyone I know listens to your show, knows that climate change is real. And we need to act. And the price on pollution, it is the best way to do it. And Canada is recognized around the world for putting in place this effective program. And I really, like... I want to cut through the myth, and I'm, I'm actually surprised to be hearing it from you and on your show, what? this notion that somehow the price on pollution is not revenue neutral. That, that's not what I said. That's, that, that, that's not what I said. What I, what I said is that your MPs, and we've spoken to them, no, who no, said that they faced you, no, heat from their constituents. Said, why are we not lifting it? Because people need their lives to be affordable. The price on pollution actually helps. Eight out of 10 Canadians with their affordability. Like you, I live in Toronto. I live in Ontario. I am one of the people, like everyone in Ontario, who is getting a check back, uh, refunding me for the price on pollution in my life. And that is happening for everyone in Ontario. Eight out of 10 people in Ontario get more money back. That is how the program works. And it is really important for all of us, and this is the vast majority of Canadians, I'll even say all Canadians, I think all Canadians at this point recognize climate change is real. They recognize we need to act. There is no debate among economists about the fact that a price on pollution is the most efficient way, the least costly way to act on it. They're also and I'm hurting glad economically. That's what our government though. is doing. But they're also hurting economically. I guess that's the point of that. Um, just the last one. We have to let you go. I know. But, but the price on pollution doesn't make people hurt economically more. I wonder whether I wonder whether I wonder whether your MPs in Atlantic Canada would agree with such a thing. Well, we've just talked about how heating oil is a very specific, right. separate case. I do need to let you go. Um, it's a busy morning, I'm sure, in speaking about this, and we are going to follow up in just a moment on the housing issue, but we're always happy to have you on the program. Christopher Freeland, thank you very much. Great talking to you this morning, Matt. Christopher Freeland is the Deputy Prime Minister at the Minister of Finance. She released the fall economic statement yesterday. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Carolyn Weitzman is a housing policy consultant, expert advisor for the Housing Assessment Resource Tools Project, at UBC, this is a project that measures the need for housing across this country. Carolyn Weissman, good morning to you. Good morning, Matt. What do you make of what was in the uh, announcement yesterday and what you just heard from the finance minister, the deputy prime minister, to address the housing crisis that people are facing right now? 
Look, there's some things that might be promising in the long term. In the short term, there's no doubt that the fall economic statement was a disappointment for those of us who are concerned about housing, particularly housing for low-income Canadians. What wasn't in it? What would lead you to say that it was a disappointment? Well, there's $15 billion more dollars to um, a renamed rental construction finance uh, initiative, which is the biggest part of the national housing strategy. Only 3% of the homes that have been created by the rental construction sorry, we're having a little bit of uh, feedback, uh, by that fund are affordable to the um, uh, to low-income people who represent 80% of those who are in housing need. And so when you hear the finance minister, she ran down a number of initiatives that the government has as part of the fall economic statement, but also, as she said, things that they're, they're picking up on that have already been announced, things like cutting yeah. the HST uh, and, and, and tax relief for uh, the GST, pardon me, and being followed by the HST, tax relief on purpose-built rentals, looking at uh, uh, getting back into the area of, of co-op housing, for example. Yeah. W- what's missing in that? Well, I'll start off with the positive because I like to start off with the positive. I'd say that the Housing Accelerator Fund, which is already well underway, is really exciting. It's important to be able to unlock uh, well-located land for increased apartment development. I'd also say that um, the uh, there's some promising things in terms of freeing up financing, freeing up federal land. Those are great. They're going to take a long time. What those who are providing housing for people who are at risk of homelessness or who are homeless was looking for was, for instance, a fourth round of the Rapid Housing Initiative, the only program in the national housing strategy that actually is meeting the needs of very low-income people and people who are homeless, getting people off the street. That wasn't in the fall economic statement. There was $1 billion, as opposed to $15 billion, available for non-profit housing. And that might take some um, projects whose viability was threatened because of high interest rates um, from the red into the black. It might make them more feasible. But again, you look at the difference between $1 billion for um, uh, government funding for the housing that uh, uh, people need most or that the people who are most in need need most. Mm. Uh, and you compare it with fif- uh, $15 billion, That's just, I mean, absolutely, there needs to be more purpose-built rental construction. I'm 100% in favor of that. Change the zoning. Um, uh, get rid of the GST. Make uh, housing easier. But let's take a look at the co-op fund, which was announced in the 2022 budget, the same time that the Housing Accelerator Fund was announced. Well, the Housing Accelerator Fund is... Um, forging ahead, and the fall economic statement just says, yeah, co-op housing, we're we're thinking about it, but it should be rolled out right now. Similarly, there's um, promises repeated around Indigenous housing that have been repeated since 2015. Indigenous people need housing now. What are the mechanisms that are going to get projects over the line? As she said, there is no silver bullet to to solving this crisis. One of the things that was announced was eliminating income tax deductions for costs associated with running things like Airbnbs. Is that going to put housing back in the market in the short term? Well, absolutely. Freeing up short-term rentals will make 
a difference. It won't, as you say, it won't make the difference. But there is a great deal in the fall economic statement about protecting um, mortgage holders. And absolutely, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but what about protecting tenants from eviction? 6% of tenants report having been evicted between uh, the 2016 census and the 2021 census. And that's only increasing because of rapidly increasing rents, uh, because of um, uh, lack of low-cost supply. So that's really where I would have liked to see the federal government put its money where its mouth is. We're just about out of time. If you go back to that idea that there are a huge number of Canadians who just given up on the idea that they'll ever own a home in this country, what yeah. would change that? Is yeah. there any way to possibly change that? Well, look, you can put your money in uh, a savings. You'd need to save up for 17 years in Toronto to afford a down payment as a first-time home buyer. You'd need to be saving up for 27 years as an average income um, home buyer in Vancouver mm. to become a homeowner. I would say that there are many rich countries, richer than Canada, uh, Germany, Austria, Denmark, right. Switzerland, I could go on, where the majority of people are renters. And the difference is that it's secure, long-term rental that allows people to save in other ways. I'm afraid at this point that the reliance on home ownership as an answer for everyone is a poison chalice. That's an interesting conversation to follow up on. In the meantime, glad to have you here this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Carolyn Weitzman is a housing policy consultant, expert advisor for the Housing Assessment Resource Tools Project at UBC. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.